Do you treasure money? Perhaps your reputation? Anything considered a treasure is often valued above everything else in life. And as we know, people will guard their treasures, won't they? Where do you put all your money? Kyle, where do you put all your money? My heavens, man, you ain't a bank big enough for all that, amen? <laughs> you got jars buried in the backyard, amen? We know that people guard their treasures. In fact, most people are willing to fight for their treasures. They're willing to fight for their things. They're willing to fight for their relationships. They're willing to fight for their friendships. And in general, most people are willing to sacrifice almost anything in order to keep their treasures safe. Today, Jesus is going to be talking about our treasures. In Matthew chapter 6, that's on page 854 in the Bibles in front of you, I want to share with you what Jesus had to say about our treasures. In verse 19 of Matthew chapter 6, our Lord and Savior said to his disciples, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven. heaven, Where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Why? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For where your true treasure is, that's where all your passion is going to go. When we have a great passion for Jesus, when we have a great passion for God, what we're doing is we're showing him that we value him above everything else. We're showing him that he is our number one priority. When we have a passion for God, we're showing him that he is our treasure. Now, last week, in Mark chapter 12, verse 30, the Bible told us about a man who asked Jesus a question and said, Lord, what's first? What's the number one thing? What's the most important thing in the Bible? And Jesus said, love God. But he didn't stop there. He said, love God with all your heart. That is, with all your passion, with all your emotion. But he didn't stop there. He said, love God with all your soul, with all your willpower, with all your desires. But he didn't stop there. He said, love God with all your mind, with everything you think about, with all of your intellect, love God. But he didn't stop there. Because he also said, love God with all your strength. With all of your might, with all of your energy, love the Lord your God. Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, 
God has got to be your passion. If you're going to follow me, you must do it with passion, with heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I think that you would agree that in a day when it seems like it's perfectly okay to be passionate about anything except your faith, the Bible teaches Christians to never be lacking in zeal, but to be passionate about spiritual things. Christians have got to make a choice. Christians must choose to be intentionally passionate about the things of God. I read that a church that has passion is a church where discouraged folks cheer up, where dishonest folks pay up, where sour folks sweeten up, where closed folks open up. A church with passion is a church where gossipers shut up. Can I get a testimony on that one? A church that has passion is a church where fighting folks make up, where sleeping folks wake up, where lukewarm folks get fired up, where dry bones shake up, where pew potatoes stand up. But the greatest thing that a church with passion has is a desire to see the Lord Jesus Christ lifted up. Amen. God says we are the ones responsible for being passionate about the things of God. It is your responsibility, Christian, sir, Ma'am, it is your responsibility to make yourself passionate for the things of God. And today, we're going to continue looking at passion killers. Passion killers that might distort, that might blur, that might obscure our 2020 vision for reigniting our passion for God. My mother... Bless her heart, was just, was passed away about four years ago now, and her vision was horrible. She had contacts back when they were glass contacts, and they were really, really thick. Her glasses were probably about that thick. My mom was legally blind without her glasses. She had... 2,200 vision. I fear that there are a lot of people in churches today that are legally blind. They don't have a 2020 vision for keeping their passion for the things of God. Now, last week, I gave you the first passion killer, which was an unbalanced schedule. We found some people can be in jeopardy of what we called compassion overload. These people, they give and give, they serve and serve, they care and care until they burn out, and then they lose their passion for the things of God. But there's the other end of the spectrum as well, and that is compassion underload, and we called them holy rollers. They come, they roll in, 
amen, to be spiritually fed. They come on into church and they get fed, they get fed, they get fed, they get fed some more. And then when we're done with church, you know what they do? They roll out the same way they rolled in. Friend, if you never experience the fruit that comes from learning from the word of God, you will get bored with this whole thing. You will get bored with this whole Christianity idea. You will get bored with being a child of God and you will lose your passion. Now today I want to give you a second passion killer. A passion killer that can rob the joy right smack out of your Christian life. And that is an unused talent. An unused talent. I read about a Major League Baseball player by the name of Tony Gwynn. Tony was one of the best hitters in Major League Baseball. In fact, when he was playing, he won eight batting titles and hit over 17,000 hits. I'm not a baseball fan, but I know that 17,000 hits is a lot of hits. Amen. What was the secret of his success? Tony himself said, there's got to be a passion for the game. you got to have passion for the game. Even his general manager, Kevin Towers, said, the key thing for Tony is he's got passion. He's got passion for this game of baseball. Friend, you've got to have passion for whatever you do. You've got to have a little heart. But if Tony Gwynn never used his talent, never used his baseball skills to hit, he would have eventually lost his passion for baseball. So, friend, if you're not using the gifts that God has given you, you, too, will eventually lose your passion for the things of God. You, too, may eventually lose your passion for life in general. Because you're not fulfilling your God-given purpose. Listen to what Peter said about this issue. About this issue of spiritual gifts. In 1 Peter chapter 4, in verse 10, he wrote, As each one, y'all hear that? As each one has received a gift, he's writing to Christians here, as each one of you has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability which God supplies and that all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So what did Peter say? He said, Bill, your gifts are for your church's benefit. And your church's benefit is for your benefit. Your church's gifts are for your benefit. See, God has given us a special purpose in this world. And here's what it is. He wants you to make a difference. He wants you to make a difference. If he didn't want you to make a difference, you'd already be in heaven. 
but he wants you here to make a difference. And guess what? He gives you all the tools you need to make a difference. God says, I've given you many gifts and talents, special abilities, and I don't want you just to sit on them. I want you to use them for one another's benefit and to glorify me. God says, I want you to use it or I promise you, you will lose it. Did y'all hear that? I want you to use these special gifts, talents, and special abilities that I've given you or you will lose it. So if you don't use your talents, you're going to lose your passion for the things of God. That's your purpose, to make a difference. Many people are totally bored. They're stuck in a job. I was talking to Bree about her new job at Taco Bell. And she said, I said, how you like it? She said, it's too early to tell. Amen? Well, hopefully she won't get bored making me some good old tacos. Amen? I'm looking forward to that. But why do people get bored in a job? It's because they're not using all the talents God gave them. Bree? That's not your only talent, sweetie. You may make a good enchilada, but that's not the only thing that God has got in store for you. Amen? The truth is this. You will never find a job that fulfills 100% of your talent. Why? Because God meant for you to find fulfillment in something other than your job. He never meant for you to be 100% fulfilled in work. Your life is more than a J-O-B. It's more than a J-O-B. God also wants you to have a ministry. A ministry. A ministry in church that will use your talents and your special gifts and those uncanny abilities that perhaps only you have. Those talents that you just don't use in your J-O-B. So I want to encourage you today with 2020 vision, I want to encourage you today to find a ministry that uses your God-given talents for the benefit of others and the glory of God. To make a difference. We all need to be involved in ministry here at church. Everybody's got special gifts and talents and abilities. And I want you to remember, unused talents will rob you of your spiritual passion. But there's a third cause for loss of passion in our lives. Loss of passion for the things of God, and that is an unconfessed sin. Woo! Now that's a big one. That's a big one. You see, there are a few things that will rob you of your passion more than unconfessed sin. There is more, a few things that will rob you of your spiritual joy, your spiritual confidence, and your spiritual success more than guilt over your failures 
and over your sins. Now, here's how guilt over sin works in our lives as Christians. We don't walk around constantly thinking about, man, I sure am a sinner. Man, I sure am guilty. I'm a guilty person. No, I think that we have a tendency to kind of diminish it a little bit. We say, consciously, we think, well, you know, it's kind of okay. My brother over in the other pew, he's doing the same thing I'm doing. It's okay. Consciously, we think, eh, it's no big deal really, is it? But subconsciously, subconsciously, it gnaws at your gut because you know better. Subconsciously, whenever it gets quiet and it's you and God, he talks to you about those things. Subconsciously, when it gets quiet and people start talking about secret sins, you know exactly what they're talking about. Subconsciously, right now, as I'm talking about this secret sin, it's popping into your mind, isn't it? You know what I'm talking about. You know exactly what sin I'm referring to. But here's the truth about us as people. We cannot feel guilt and passion at the same time. You can't be feeling guilty all the time and have passion for the things of God all the time. It just don't happen that way. Guilt robs you of spiritual passion. And that's one reason that Jesus was sent, to die on the cross for us, to remove that guilt. God said, I want to offer all of y'all a gift. Freedom from guilt. <clears throat> forgiveness. Unconditional forgiveness. And fortunately, even as a believer, this is something that you and I can do to alleviate the guilt problem right now. Jesus has already done all that's necessary. All we got to do is realize why he came. He came so that we can obtain forgiveness. And in 1 John 1, 9, the Bible says, that if you confess your sins, he, that is God, will be trusted to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all, say all, all unrighteousness. Friend, that's the promise of God. If you will bring it to him, confess it, then he will forgive it. Now people will say, well, okay, what's this whole confession thing mean? What's confessing mean? Confessing basically means you're disagreeing with God that it's sin. You're agreeing with God that what you did was wrong. You're agreeing with him that you need to be freedom, freed from guilt. And the promise of God is, is you can be free. But there's something else that confession involves. Confession also involves a commitment not to continue in that sin. I mean, does it make any sense to you to genuinely agree with God knowing that tomorrow you're going to do the same sin again? It makes no sense, does it? So it also involves this commitment 
to not continue in sin. So what do we do? you got to tell God, God, I want to begin living the way you want me to live. I want to live the way you want me to live. I want to stop doing things my own way and start doing them your way. That's true confession. That's for real confession. And that's something that we call repentance. See, repentance leads to passion. When you get forgiven and cleansed, now you're free to have passion for the things of God. Listen to what Paul wrote to the Corinthians about this very issue. He wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, in verse 9, he said, Now I rejoice that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. That's real life change. For you were made sorry in a godly manner. That means that you're made sorry for real. Amen. That you might not suffer loss of anything. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. Not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. Now I want you to check out this verse. Verse 11. For observe this very thing, Paul says to me and you. Observe this very thing that you sorrowed in a godly manner. That means you got right. You repented. You turned away. You changed the way you thought. You turned away from your sin. You sorrowed in a godly manner. Look what it produced. What diligence it produced. That means you got off your caboose and you started working for God. Amen? What diligence it produced in you. What clearing of your soul it produced for you. What indignation, what hatred of sin did it produce in you? What fear of God did it produce in you? What vehement desire? You don't want to do anything else anymore but serve God in everything you do. What vehement desire, what zeal. That's passion, y'all. Look what passion it produced in you. What vindication in all things that you may be proving to yourself to be clear in this matter. See, sometimes Christians carry around guilt for weeks. Some Christians will carry it around for months, days, who knows how long. But I want to encourage you this morning, don't you wait. God is waiting for you to show up at the throne of grace to receive the forgiveness and receive the passion that he has in store for you. Don't wait. Do something about it today. Unconfessed sin is a passion killer, y'all. In fact, why do we have, let's don't wait until the end of the service. Let's pray right now, okay? Heads bowed, eyes are closed. Let's pray. Lord, that sin that Bill's talking about in that secret place in my life, I'm bringing it to you. I'm confessing it. I'm agreeing with you that it is sin and it is a direct affront to you as creator of the universe. And I am turning away from it with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I want to thank you, Lord, for the forgiveness you promise, for the cleansing of all unrighteousness. Would you now restore my passion? And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. An unbalanced schedule. 
will make you lose your passion. Unused talents will make you lose your passion. Unconfessed sin will make you lose your passion. But there's a fourth one I want to share with you as we close. A fourth cause why you might lose your passion for the things of God. And that is an unresolved conflict. I don't know about y'all, but I don't like conflict. I don't like no part of it. I don't like the drama of it all. I don't like the conflict of, all, of it all, even though I might be the cause of it. Amen? Understand it? She nodded. Amen? Conflict will drain your passion. Have you ever started a day and, man, you're just convinced this is going to be a great day? Man, you hop right out of bed. You jump in your clothes and you grab a biscuit and you get your shower and you shave. You're ready to roll. You're ready to go. And then on the way out, you have an, an argument with your husband. You start arguing with your wife. You start arguing with your kids saying, no, you're not going to wear that to school. Y'all been there. They're all laughing. Y'all ain't laughing, amen. What happens then? Your enthusiasm goes right out. When I wake up in the morning and I'm all jacked up and I'm ready to roll, here's how I feel. Woo, man, I'm good. That's going to get hot. <laughs> put you over there. Here we go. And then if I have an argument with Janet and I'm always wrong, this is what happens. <laughs> right? The enthusiasm goes right out like the air out of a tire. It takes the passion right out of your day. Starts it on the wrong foot. So let's be honest about this. There may be some things in your home, some things at your workplace, where conflict is a constant issue for you. I know that because we've talked about it some. Maybe you are doing everything in your power to avoid this conflict, but that man just won't shut up. That woman will not keep bringing drama into the workplace, and it causes drama. How in the world are you expected to keep passion in an environment like that? Well, let me tell you. You need to make a decision. You need to make a decision that you're going to protect yourself from three passion-killing emotions that come into your life as a result of conflict. And remember, you can't control the other person, but you sure can control your emotions. Those three emotions that will kill your passion in the middle of conflict is resentment, Jealousy and ongoing anger. Resentment, jealousy, and prolonged anger. How do you know, Bill? Well, guess what? The Bible speaks of this. In the book of Job, and Job has got a lot of credibility with me because he went through the fire and came out on the good side. Amen. Job said, 
Resentment destroys the fool. Job knew what he was talking about. He went on to say, jealousy kills the simple. What's he saying? He's just saying that resentment and jealousy are passion-killing emotions. And then in Job 18.4, he says, you're only hurting yourself with your anger. Prolonged anger don't hurt that person. It only hurts you. And friend, this is why the Bible, Jesus in particular, speaks so much about forgiveness. This is why forgiveness is so important. God created us, and he knows that you can't carry that garbage around with you all day long. You can't tote that guilt you can't tote the, the mistakes of somebody else. You can't tote that anger, that resentment, and that jealousy day in and day out without it causing you harm. And so he said, I've come up with a way for you to let it go. I want you to have your passion restored. I want your passion to be restored for the things of God and for life in general. And to do it, you're going to have to learn to forgive. You're going to have to learn to let it go. To forgive. Now, I know what some of y'all are thinking. Saying, Billy boy, I ain't letting him off the hook that easy. Why should I let him off the hook? Why should I let her off the hook? How in the world do you expect me to do something like that? Well, I'm not telling you to let them off the hook. You know what I'm telling you to do? I'm telling you to take them off your hook and put them on God's hook. Amen? Let him deal with them. Because you can't. Let him deal with them. Your job is, is to say, God, I can't handle this. I can't handle them. I can't handle the drama they bring. I can't handle the conflict they bring into my life. It's killing my passion for the things of God. It's killing my passion for life in general. I can't handle it, but I know you can. I know you can. I forgive them, and I'm leaving it up to you. And friend, if you don't do that, unforgiveness will kill your passion. It will kill your passion for the things of God and for life. And eventually, you're going to cop an attitude a mile wide. And you're going to start getting bitter at people and bitter at God. So we must learn to forgive and just let it go. And if you think about it, in essence, that's what God did with his, with his wrath against my sin and yours. He says, I'm going to handle this sin cancer once and for all. Those that accept the cure, they will be healed and they will live with me eternally. Those that refuse the cure, they will die. 
and they will be separated from me eternally. So what's the cure? What's the cure to the sin cancer? Simply said, it's placing your faith in what God's son Jesus Christ did by dying on the cross for my sins and yours. And then being gloriously raised from the grave after three days. The forgiveness and the conquering of death is what brings about the cure for sin cancer. So my question to you this morning is this. If you haven't already, have you accepted God's cure for your sin cancer and mine? They say, Bill, I already did that, man. Got that covered. Got it covered. I believe. I got all my faith in Jesus and him alone. I know he died for me, and I know God raised him from the grave three days later. If that's the case, where's your passion? Who's number one? Who's most important in your life? Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your passion will be also. So will you allow God to reignite your passion for the things of God this year? Will you allow him to give you that 2020 vision to reignite that fire, to reignite that passion? To use those special abilities that he's given you to prompt you to confess that, that unconfessed sin to get right with the Lord. And to take care of that unresolved conflict, man, just give it to God, okay? Just give it to God. So whatever your decision is this morning, whether it be to accept the cure or to commit yourself to the benefits and blessings that come as a result of you accepting the cure, today's your day. Can't think of a better day than the first Sunday of 2020 to get right to do right, to stay right, and to serve the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Let me pray for you. Father God, thank you for loving us like you do. Thank you for taking care of this deadly sin cancer that every human being has been struck with. It breaks my heart that it cost the life of your son to purchase my forgiveness and to conquer death. But I'm sure thankful that you did. Lord, if there's someone here today that's ready to accept your cure for their sin cancer, Lord, I can't think of a better day than January the 5th, 2020, for them to get their vision right. And Lord, for the one who knows who I'm talking about this morning, they've already gotten right with you. They've placed their faith in Christ. But if they're honest with themselves and they're honest with you, you just haven't been number one in their life. They haven't had a real passion to do the things of God. Father, they're ready. 
They've heard your word speak life into theirs. And they're prepared to reignite their spiritual passion and obtain this 2020 vision that we all desperately need going into this new year. Father, you speak in that still, soft whisper that you spoke to Elijah with. And Lord, you prompt your child to make the decision they need to make. It'll be for the benefit of all the others, but for your glory. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said. Amen. Let's all stand and sing.